I found there's a direct relationship between improved employee health and wellness and an increase in profits and company growth. Welcome to the Two Sales Guys podcast with your hosts, Sean Whitley and Matthew Sopiers. What's commonly talked about are the tactics and methodologies for sales professionals. What is less commonly talked about is the stress and anxiety that comes with being a seller. Each day, sales reps are asked to take rejection after rejection, operate in a world of uncertainty and high pressure, and either fail to hit their number or get a higher quota the next year. We'll talk about how to cope with these pressures and what a winning sales mindset really looks like. Sales is often called a performance business, and we'll explore how stress can drive bad selling behaviors. And alternatively, we'll look to experts on how you can manage your mind and wellness first so that you're putting your best foot forward every day at work. We'll talk to professionals in the industry who share the same experiences and what organizations can do to create a healthy, winning sales culture. Welcome back to the Two Sales Guys. Today we have Dr. Jim Driscoll, who has 33 years of clinical chiropractic experience and is based in the Los Angeles area. Dr. Driscoll provides mobile chiropractic services, employee wellness programs, and injury prevention techniques for many businesses throughout Southern California. Dr. Driscoll specializes in sports injuries, work injury prevention, and science-based nutrition. Dr. Driscoll and his partner, Anna Kobian, developed their business, Health by Numbers, striving for objectivity in science-based nutritional healthcare using a foundational blood test that evaluates 62 biomarkers and hair analysis that determines an individual's heavy metal toxicity and mineral content. In order to maintain his own level of optimal physical and mental health, Dr. Driscoll is dedicated to resistance training with weightlifting, downhill skiing at Mammoth Mountain, and hiking in the Eastern Sierras. And with that, uh, Dr. Jim, welcome to the show. Matt and Sean, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be able to, uh, to work with you guys. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on here. And I know for the listeners that don't know, Dr. Jim has been our chiropractor for uh, a while now. Uh, I can't remember exactly how long, more than a year, absolutely, a couple years now, and uh, have done wonders with my back. I've had lower back issues my whole life. And obviously, now that we're at home more, there's a lot of things going on. But I uh, wanted, wanted to talk with you live on the show a bit about some of the things that you and I've talked about in our sessions, because I think it's, it's really important for our audience in the sales profession to, to hear some of these interesting things that, that you've brought up. So um, just to kind of kick things off, I know that you have a background in sports and obviously your career in, in the chiropractic space, but you've shifted to helping companies with like their overall health and wellness initiatives and would love to know how you ended up making that shift. Well, it's uh, it's been a process. Back in, in I believe, yeah, it was 1997, I was working with a number of large uh, workers' compensation insurance companies. Uh, in that framework, I was treating patients and, and doing industrial disability evaluations. And at that time, one of the big carriers contacted me to put together a program of injury prevention involving employee stretching and exercise, and that was in response to the Cal-OSHA ergonomic standard at the time. And with that, I developed my program in my company. I called it Workers' Warm-Ups. And basically, that program was a five-minute uh, stretching and flexibility 
exercise program that employees could do prior to their work duties that would provide blood flow, warm up. It would provide uh, an, an ability to to prepare their muscles and joints for their you know their upcoming uh, work duty. Uh, the response and the success of that program was was more than I anticipated, and it had, it had basically from there grown from just a, a simple injury prevention program to more of a comprehensive employee wellness program and a business that we call uh, currently Health by Numbers. So once again, we were we initially worked with employees just to simply prevent things like carpal tunnel syndrome, um, repetitive motion injuries, and the progression of that approach led us into uh, a situation today where we work a lot with the employees' uh, metabolic health. My partner, Anna Cobian, and I right now work with employees to help correct their metabolic health conditions, which, you know, from from that standpoint, can lead to very serious chronic diseases. So it, it not only helps the employers, but it really, really helps the employees as well. That's great. And, and I can imagine all the people and companies that you've worked with, there's probably been some interesting learnings and observations that you've had just in the overall health and wellness space. Do you mind sharing just a few of some of those observations that you've had through working with companies and employees? Yeah, it's been, it's, it's been, uh, it's been very educational for me as well. From the employer standpoint, there's been a a significant reduction in workers' compensation costs and a dramatic increase in productivity. Um, when you're when you're talking about just you know from the surface, a company with who has a great deal of healthy employees is going to be much more productive than one that is struggling with the health problems that can you know limit that company's productivity. So in, in the 23 years of working with, I'd, I'd say, hundreds of companies, there's a, I found there's a direct relationship between improved employee health and wellness and an increase in profits and company growth. Um, from, and from an employee standpoint, it's just incredible to see the confidence, motivation, energy that comes with improved metabolic health in the form of weight loss. Uh, the, the reversing of type 2 diabetes, the improvement in cardiovascular health, the increase in immune response, uh, employees' improved cognition, and a decrease in, in, in their visual appearance and, and, you know, in the form of subcutaneous and visceral fat and with an increase in muscular growth. All of this can be achieved through lifestyle changes and optimum nutrition. So it's... When we started, it was a simplistic uh, approach to help employee, employers save money. And what we've done is basically worked from a, um, an approach of a win-win from both the employer and the employee standpoint. So I, I think, you know, with everybody working remote these days and, and people being home, um, I mean, I know you and I've talked about this, but I think this is an important topic. I don't have that super comfortable chair that my boss, you know, bought for me at the office and I don't have the multiple monitors 
that are on a desk and things like that. I'm I'm working at home in these various different locations and and obviously that's impacting me. Um I, I might be, you know, kind of jumping the gun here a little bit, but I think for for our audience sake, like I'm sure they're in a similar boat, especially sales professionals, you know, they're taking calls everywhere they can. They're working from the 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 kitchen counter or they're sitting in their bed or on the couch with their laptops, right? It's it's a different situation. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're seeing around that and if there's any sort of techniques that you could share with the audience around what they can do for, you know, optimal posture and, and avoiding any sort of detrimental impact to their bodies just because of this change of scenery. Yeah. And it it really is a whole new world. Um, and, you know, there there is a lot of benefits in working from an office. And when I work with companies, uh, one of the one of the uh, roles that I have is to go in and look at their their ergonomic setups. And, and that translates into employee posture. Um, what I try to do is set up a ergonomic environment that will minimize the stress placed on the muscles and joints um, relative to the work duties that they're performing. So example, in an office environment, um, what I try to do, and then I, I, in this new environment of COVID and working at home, I try to help the employees understand that the same principles can be applied. Now, obviously in a work situation, you're going to have, you may have, may or may not have, you know, much better equipment to work with, but it's not necessarily the equipment that's going to dictate your posture. It's how you set up that equipment. So in three basic areas that, that I recommend to people to be aware of is starting is the chair positioning chair height primarily the keyboard placement and the monitor height. So just from, you know, like I said, a, a, a basic concept, I try to get people to get their chair height so that your knees are going to be lower than your hips. And what that does for the individual is places their lumbar spine into what we call a more lordotic position, a forward curve into that, into that position. There used to be uh, back, uh, I don't know, they, I guess they still may have them out, but there used to be these chairs that you could buy that would, the seat pan of the chair that you're sitting in would be angled downward and there would be a platform for your knees to kneel on. And what that did for you is it created that concept that I was just describing where you would have a forward lumbar lordotic curve. But the problem with that situation was you put be, you were putting a lot of pressure. I used to have one of these chairs. You'd put a lot of pressure on your knees and in an extended time period, your, your, the blood would get cut off to your, in the, into the knee joints and you'd get numbness in your knees. So it, uh, I guess they might, may have phased out in that respect because of that problem. But you can still design uh, a chair setup to where your, your knees are going to be lower than your hips. It'll provide a nice, smooth, forward curve to your low back, which is the strongest position for your lumbar spine to be in. What you're trying to do is mimic the same position that you would be in standing as you would be sitting. And then creating that environment, my next step would be to look at the keyboard placement. What I try to do is have employees or workers set up their keyboard forward on the desk so that they can place their arms on the desk as a as as more of a platform 
to take the pressure off of the off of the uh, trapezius muscles that would be involved in supporting the arms without a platform. And you can kind of do an easy test with this by basically placing your forearms with your arms bent at a 90 degree angle on a desk, place the other hand on your trapezius muscles. Now lift that arm off the desk and you'll realize the contraction in that trapezius muscle that's involved in doing that. Now, if you're working in that position, and it may not seem like that big a deal at the moment, but if you're working like that for extended periods of time, for day in and day out, you're going to develop tension in that muscle. That tension can lead to neck pain. That neck pain can lead to headaches and so forth. So by providing a platform for your arms to rest on will help relieve the tension in that, in that upper thoracic, lower cervical uh, region of the body. And the third component would be to look at your monitor height. And once again, a lot of these ergonomic uh, modifications may not seem like that big a deal that you're, you're, we're talking about maybe millimeters or inches, but those little changes can make a world of difference in the long run. You have to look at things, you know, in, in the respect of not just, you know, minute by minute, but you know, days and weeks, months, and years. So what I uh, encourage people to do is to raise their monitor, whether it be, you know, freestanding monitor or a laptop, so that your horizontal line of sight looking straight ahead would fall somewhere between or somewhere around the upper one-third line of that that monitor screen, Um, and which would place your neck in in a nice, smooth, a forward curve or a nice neutral position, not looking down and not looking up. And once again, trying to alleviate as much stress placed on the muscles and joints as possible when when you're working. The, one of the problems I find nowadays with people uh, working from home is that they they'll they they switch their ergonom their their nice ergonomic positions that they would have at work to more of the couch to more of the bed, to more, you know, I mean, they, they come up with all different, you know, working at the kitchen table. And a lot of these things, like I said, over time can really lead to postural uh, uh, complications, which then again leads to pain, stiffness, and, and uh, a need for my services. These are such basic things. And, you know, I'm, I'm checking myself as you go through the three areas that you talked about here and identifying even in myself the issues I have. My, my, my keyboards or sorry, my keyboard is, is in a good spot, but definitely my knees were, were not in the right position in terms of height. And uh, my monitor was, was too high, I think, as you walked me through those. Um, a couple of follow up questions. The, the first one would be I, when you go into these companies, how, like, if you could estimate what percentage of the people in these companies are getting things like this wrong? Is it is it pretty widespread? And do you see this as being a pretty chronic issue for most people that they have these things wrong? In, in terms of the ergonomics, I would say a, a large percentage. It's hard for me to estimate, but I, yeah, it's a large percentage of the people have them wrong. And it's, it's, to, it's, it's a type of thing where going into a, a position of comfort is maybe a little bit different than going into a position of protection. And, and it, sometimes it takes a little bit of uh, 
patients to have that become part of your daily habit. In other words, like what I see a lot of times when I go into companies is that, you know, people will, you know, use the chair as more of a lounge chair or they'll, you know, they'll, uh, they'll have an environment where they're, they have the computer or the keyboard off to one side and they're rotated looking at something else. And, and it's, you know, a lot of it is based on, on comfort rather than protection, but with education and understanding that the, the right positioning is, is basically going to lead to strength and stability then, and to, to work through maybe a little bit of the, the uh, initial uncomfortable feeling of that or the change in that is only going to be to their benefit. It's, it's really cool. And I think, you know, most, uh, there's a phrase for the types of work that people like Sean and I do now, it's called knowledge workers, which are people that are sitting behind laptops every day. And we, we tend to think that that's obviously a very mental capacity job. It's that we're thinking and we're using our brains. Um, And what's lost is the physical element of what we're doing a lot of times. Um, but I think it's important. Even I was talking to some of the people that have worked on my team about their efficiency and how they work and how they set up their workspace in the order to move quicker across the tasks that they're doing things. And it kind of felt weird coaching them on the physical part of their jobs because normally we're so used to just coaching them on the mental part of their jobs. And so, like, do you see or do you think it? people will find it strange, like, tomorrow if I – as part of my onboarding process with new hires, gave them a little bit of a spiel on how they should be sitting. Oh, I, I don't. I find that that only to be productive, um, and 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 it's it's one of those things where you know, in most cases, you're going to find that once people uh, once people realize that that position, that correct position. Um, in most cases, they're going to realize they're going to they're going to relate to you how good it feels, and that's what I find when I go into companies. I'll I'll make minor modifications. I may change the seat height a little bit, and once again, raise that monitor. I put them in that position, and they go, "Oh wow, that feels good." It's a, I I didn't even realize that I was doing that wrong, and uh, so yeah, I think it's very very helpful, and 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 even to take it a step further what you know um basically we've been focused uh, our discussion on the the physical uh, modifications to the actual workplace equipment but a lot of people forget the modifications that they can make to their actual physical bodies and what i find um nowadays and once again especially working at home people get stuck in this position for far too long and that's when the problems that see the, the the problem with this with with when you look at this from a longevity standpoint is that the muscles and joints have a neurological memory to them. It's it's basically called muscle memory. And if you if you if you for take for example, if you broke your arm, you put it in a cast, you leave that arm in a cast for six to eight weeks, and you take the arm or you take the cast off. Well, your arm is bent. It's not going to straighten out very easily, and you have to really work with it to get it to straighten out because of the muscle memory. The ligaments have tightened in in some areas, and they've lengthened in others, and the muscles do the same thing. So you have to retrain or erase an old memory and put a new memory in. So that's by changing your 
your physical equipment um, at the workplace or in your, in your work environment, you're basically training your body to to assume a muscle memory that that is going to be more uh, ergonomically fit for that individual. Uh, and 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 with that in mind, there's also there's also interventions that you can do that can even in the best case uh, uh, ergonomically designed situation, you still can can develop neck stiffness, low back tightness, and things like that. So that's what I encourage people not only to take care of their their workplace environment, but also their own physical body, their, that the environment that they're working with in that sense. And there are certain exercises, real simple ones that they can do to help improve um, the, or actually counteract the, the problems of just a basic sitting, you know, workplace posture. One of the things I think um, probably across the board, the number one exercise um, that the that I recommend to the people I work with and that your listeners could do is something that my partner, uh, Anna Kogan, had introduced me to. She has been a, a yoga instructor for, oh gosh, I'm probably going to age her, but it's been quite some time. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a, a posture or an asana in yoga that's called pranayama breathing. And the listeners can basically uh, YouTube that. There's many examples of it um, uh, that are available. And it's a very simple exercise that you can take uh, a 30-second break from your seated posture, stand up, do this breathing technique, and not only will it help counteract the, the muscle memory that's, that's, that's being instilled in you by your workplace posture, but it will also... It, fills your, your body with freshly oxygenated blood. It helps to counteract the position of the cervical spine when looking at a computer. It'll help to restore the normal cervical curve. And it also will work on keeping your shoulders in a back upright position, which will then bring the head back over center, a lot allowing the muscles in your upper back and lower cervical area to relax. So it's a simple technique that can be done, and it's just a matter of being uh, consistent with it and doing it on a regular basis. Uh, thank you for that. I mean, I think it's it's sometimes the smallest things that can have the biggest impact, and and also the smallest things that can be overlooked on a on a daily basis. I I know myself like some of these things that you mentioned now are things that that I'm already making mistakes on that as I said before, brings a bit more awareness to what issues I might be creating. And I, I can't wait to see the results um, from, from some of these little tweaks that you mentioned. Yeah, they can, they, they, they can be very beneficial. And then, and you know, it's the type of thing that when I work with companies, we it's a little bit easier because I can work with individual problems. You know, it's like some, there are certain things that people across the board can do to really help themselves with the, as I mentioned, the ergonomic setups, the, um, the individual, you know, uh, postural exercises that we recommend but the from there you can definitely you know you can get more specific in terms of of health and wellness with the individual when sean and i started out on the two sales guys podcast we had to do a lot of research and there was things that we had to learn about in order to 
get this to the point that we're at today. With that, we did do a lot of digging into technology and tools to help us create high quality podcast episodes. And one of the bigger challenges Sean and I had was that we would be remote um, and separate from recording all of the interviews and episodes for the two sales guys. Doing research and testing out a few different platforms, we found that Squadcast.fm was the easiest to use and offered the best functionality for our needs. It allows us to record each of the individuals involved in our episodes into separate high quality wave format files. It just makes it really, really easy for editing and cleanup later. And also allows you to store those files in the cloud. And we certainly recommend others who are starting their own podcast or just looking to record remote interviews to check out squadcast.fm. If you'd like to get a seven day unlimited trial, go ahead and visit the two salesguys.com slash squadcast. So it's pretty, it's pretty well documented that outside of the, the physical aspect, the other part in terms of like taking care of your body and actually when you talk about like weight loss, the other thing that does a massive impact is all around your diet. And so one of the interesting things that we wanted to talk about was some of the, the correlations between your gut health and your overall physical and ultimately mental health or mental performance for that sake. And obviously our audience is, is mainly sales professionals that are you know, looking to have that edge and looking to, you know, make sure they're operating on all cylinders. So um, anything you can share around the link between gut health and mental health, mental performance to, to at least start here. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a fascinating uh, discussion. It's one that I've spent a lot of time uh, researching. Um, the gut brain connection, it's a huge topic and it's often overlooked in, in many mental health conditions. Uh, there's a lot of research that's finding that the brain and the gastrointestinal system are intimately connected. For example, a troubled intestine uh, uh, can send signals to the brain just as a troubled brain can send signals to the gut. Uh, therefore, a person's intestinal distress can be the cause or product of anxiety, stress, and or their own depression. Um, I understand the stress that comes with sales. And with that stress, it can be definitely magnified by a dysfunctional gut. For example, uh, research has found that the gut bacteria manufacture about 95% of the body supply of serotonin. Serotonin is a neurotransmitter that influences both mood and GI activity. And I've seen a great deal of patients where they've got mood disorders, they've got uh, depression, uh, traffic, road rage, a lot of things that they just don't know where it's coming from. Um, we work with their gut, we get their digestive system functioning properly. And time after time, I keep getting feedback from patients that they, their overall mental state feels better. Um, so it's a, a great deal of optimum health begins with the gut. And the gut is probably one of the first things that I address when working with a patient's nutrition. Uh, you may have heard the term that you are what you eat. And although there's a lot of truth in that statement, I take it a step further by saying you are what you absorb. See, the downstream effects of gut dysfunction can be very significant 
in the form of macro and micronutrient deficiencies. Autoimmune conditions can develop from gut uh, problems, and mood disorders can definitely manifest as a result of problems with your gut. So it's these are just a few of the problems that, that can develop. But as I said, that initially that the the gut, it's, we could talk for days on, on this subject, but in the, in the big picture, if your gut is functioning properly, that's the best place to start for optimum health. Do you have any recommendations uh, for sellers that what should they be consuming to put themselves in that best chance for you know, optimal performance, best sales performance? It's, that's, once again, is a huge and somewhat complicated topic. Uh, but from a sales perspective, I would recommend nutrition designed to optimize energy and mental clarity. And in a lot of the uh, employees that I work with, some of the complaints that I get when I do my health screenings is that they do have a lack of energy. They, you know, they, they have to rely on energy drinks, on coffee, just to kind of get through the day. And with them, my recommendation is to focus on protein and healthy fats as your first meal of the day. And I know this may sound kind of simple, but it if you try it, it works. And this will create a, a feeling of satiety. It provides energy as opposed to consuming processed carbohydrates that will make you feel sluggish and hungry two hours later. Uh, take, for example, hard-boiled eggs. Hard-boiled eggs are a great source of protein and healthy fat. And believe me, they're much better than the option of a donut or, you know, some form of pastry that you normally see at an, at an eight o'clock sales meeting to start the day. Um, if you look at it, at, let's say, take a donut, for example, it's nothing but processed white flour, processed seed oil and processed sugar. Um, and it's, you know, it's that type of, of, of macronutrient that's basically just going to not only bring your energy doubles down, but it's also going to make you hungry after about two hours of, of that. Um, on the other hand, the hard-boiled egg is basically going to, the, the protein and the fat will definitely uh, make you feel satiated. It'll take away your hunger. Uh, in many cases, you, you, you forget entirely about food and you're able to focus on, on you know, the, the work ahead of you. And, you know, don't worry too much about the, the whole uh, issue with eggs. I just read a recent uh, report, a new meta-analysis, just read it the other day, matter of fact, a new meta-analysis of studies from 1966 to 2020 shows that eating more than one egg per day is actually protective against coronary artery risk disease. So a lot of people worry about their, you know, the, the effect of eggs that can, that, uh, that can have. And I think a lot of... New, Nutrition people in the nutritional field are even behind on this, on this uh, uh, piece of information. But the studies show that there's nothing really to worry about in, in that in that sense in, in terms of, of coronary artery risk disease. So, uh, bottom line is the uh, eggs are are extremely healthy for you and much better option than than what I'd mentioned in terms of the uh, donuts or the pastries that a lot of people are used to eating. Yeah. I, I mean, I can, I can echo that because, um, I, as I've followed 
loosely the keto diet, um, getting away from the carbs uh, and the sugars uh, and focusing more on eating healthy fats and protein. And by doing that, by shifting that, I've noticed my body not having that afternoon slump. I really don't have that 2.30, 3 o'clock like where I'm just so tired, I need to go and get some pick-me-up. I, you know, now that we're remote, I could, I could make an excuse to go take a quick nap instead of, you know, just going to the office, you know, kitchen and getting something to drink or some candy or something to perk me up, but to make it through the end of the day. But um, I've really felt that change. And, you know, I, I've heard people say that forever. You know, I always thought it was like, oh, you're, you're eating better and like you, you feel more energy and more focused. And it was just, you know, like, yeah, you're just trying to like psych yourself up on the diet that you're on, that it's working and you're basically lying to yourself. But like in all fairness, like ever since I started focusing on this keto diet, I have been much more awake in, in normal awake hours. I, I've actually been sleeping less and this is a whole nother factor with the kids and all that stuff that's happening. But even with the less sleep, I'm not feeling as tired during the day as I was before when I was getting better sleep and not eating properly. And so personal anecdote here, like literally eating proper nutrition, the right things to fuel your, your mind, which I, I think you've mentioned to me, you know, it's like significant portion of fat in your brain. It's made mostly of fat and water. So you need to make sure you're feeding that and replenishing it with the proper things. So um, I can echo everything you're saying and how it's worked for me in my, in my life. Yeah, and that's great. I love to hear that because it, it, the science is out there and there's, there's a tremendous amount of, of new information that, um, that is being discovered that is, can make a huge difference in our day-to-day lives. I, you, know, you can take, take a, a, a lot of, of what we call biohacks or approaches to your own health and nutrition um, to some some pretty amazing levels, the the brain functions really well on fats and ketones, and that's probably what you're experiencing by switching over to that type of diet. Uh, my personal uh, dietary program, I basically uh, practice what's called intermittent fasting. A lot of the readers may be familiar with this. I basically eat in an eight-hour window through the day and fast for sixteen hours. I find that. By doing that, it gives me a tremendous amount of energy um, and mental clarity as well. I basically don't eat until probably 11 o'clock or noon each day. I eat two uh, relatively large meals per day consisting of, uh, like I said, healthy uh, animal protein, um, healthy fats, and carbohydrates in the form of vegetables. Um, I don't eat a lot of, uh, I don't eat basically any processed food or try to avoid it as much as possible. Um, but in, in doing, in that type of approach, uh, I found that it basically takes my mind off of food and puts it on more constructive things that I do day in and day out. Based on the work you do and, and all the experience that you have, how does COVID-19 change the way that we need to think about overall well-being and health? That's a great question, Matt. And, you know, if people didn't take their overall health and well-being, if they didn't make it their priority before COVID, I certainly hope they would now. 
I mean, I'm sure you've heard of the strong correlation between the severity of symptoms and severe outcomes of COVID-19 in individuals with metabolic comorbidities. There was a, a recent study from the University of North Carolina, and it found that 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy, which puts these people at, at a great risk for chronic disease. The metabolic, the metabolic health that I've been talking about was defined as having optimum levels of a number of things. Number one, blood glucose, triglycerides, HDL, blood pressure, and waist circumference. In the majority of the companies and the employees and the patients I work with, I'd probably say that at least 90% of them have at least one of these metrics outside of the optimum or healthy range. Now, you know, this is a significant finding on its own, but now you throw in COVID-19 and it magnifies the problem tremendously. And it's, you know, in this whole COVID environment, you hear about, you know, some people who will not have a problem with with COVID. They, they describe it as having a mild flu and they're they're fine. Other people, obviously, the, the outcomes can be far more serious. Now, in general... I would think that that a condition or a person who is metabolically healthy is going to fare far better uh, with their immunity and in in relation to this to this virus than one who isn't. Um, and so, this metabolic health that I've been talking about, it can be obtained and maintained with lifestyle changes and nutrition. And, and it's shocking to me to see how much processed food how much sugar, soda, polyunsaturated processed seed oils, toxic chemicals that are still being consumed, and and combine that with the stress, the sedentary lifestyle, the lack of good sleep and sunshine, and it's no wonder that 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. Um, I, you know, when I heard about this whole correlation between the severity of COVID-19 and and comorbidities, it just, I looked at it as, as in, in one sense, as a positive thing that maybe it would wake people up, that they would start to realize that, you know what, I'm better off if I get, if I can get my body healthy uh, to, to, you know, to live with these kind of conditions, because, you know, it's, it's hard to say where this is all going. I don't, personally, I don't think we're ever going to get rid of these type of viruses. So, um, you know, rather than having the virus beat me, I'd like to give my own uh, body, my own health, the best opportunity to deal with it, you know, rather than, than not. Yeah. Give yourself a, a fighting chance, right? Exactly. And hopefully, you know, I, I was, <clears throat> as we were talking here, I was reading a little bit about um, some studies that are happening as it relates to how the coronavirus has affected people's diets. And, and it, there, there aren't hard data points out yet, but I think there are specific data points out about people cooking more often at home, um, which I think is generally probably a good thing compared to the drive through on the way home or, you know, eating out all the time, those sort of things. I, I think t people tend to, when they cook at home, be a little bit more healthier. And so hopefully as all this stuff shakes out, we'll find that maybe there's a little bit of a shift that's happened as a result of COVID in a, in a positive way. Yeah, I can only hope so too. Uh, and, and like I said, if there's, you know, anything that, that could be positive from this whole, you know, experience in the last year would be that, you know, it, people would become 
more aware of their own personal health and how how you know nutrition and, and lifestyle changes can have an effect on improving you know their their own level of health one of the one time that you came out here you told me a really interesting story uh i don't remember the details so i'm going to hope to to jog your memory that you can remember the story but it was about an individual who had some sort of medical condition or something was going on where they tried all different kinds of doctors and treatments and exams and tests and they couldn't really figure it out but then you like worked with him on his diet and taking certain things out of his diet and and addressing it and and you really resolved a lot of the symptoms one by one. Do you remember what story I'm referring to specifically? Yeah, the, I, I actually do. There was, there, I've had countless numbers of, of stories of improvements and, and testimonials from people um, who have changed their diet, who have modified their, their lifestyle. Um, and the, the improvements that, that follow can, in many cases, be dramatic. However, there was, I was treating a, a, a a pretty well-known musician, um, and in the uh, uh, basically uh, 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 a, I believe it was with the LA Philharmonic, and this uh, this individual had basically started feeling a tremendous amount of pain, discomfort, stiffness in uh, her joints systemically, and meaning like throughout her body, and and she had gone through the the whole gamut of, of medical testing. Um, they had her on a great deal of medications, um, basically treating the symptom. And so it was kind of determined that she had an autoimmune condition uh, that was creating these problems. And I didn't give her any false hope in, in, in saying that I could cure an autoimmune disease that, you know, that I cannot do. But I can teach her to manage it and manage the symptoms very well without the medication. So basically just by simply changing her diet, reducing the overall chronic inflammation that was present for her given instrument. And so by once again, by, and, and the way that we, that I work with this, that basically we do a, a blood test on individuals, individuals that looks at uh, roughly 60 different biomarkers and, and, one of the big biomarkers that is often overlooked in, in a general, you know, physical blood test would be something that's called HSCRP. This is a measurement of chronic inflammation throughout the body. In this individual, it was extremely high. So uh, the main goal by looking at that is to reduce the, the, the conditions that would create that type of, of chronic inflammation. And, that type of inflammation can come from abnormalities in in the gut and and from her diet. So by simply and, and not getting into you know a great uh, amount of detail, we basically change this individual's diet to to where the we were able to monitor that that inflammation level as it as and as it dropped, her symptoms basically started to disappear. So and and what we basically did was give her the tools and the information to work with that on, on her own and manage it as well. Once again, we did not cure the autoimmune condition, but we taught her how to manage it without the use of, of, of drugs, which can carry with them a great deal of, of side effects and lead to other problems, uh, but more of a way to where her body 
can can deal with it um, in a way that's much more healthy for her in the long run. I think it's a it's a neat story, and I I thought a lot about um, when people are sick a lot. There, there starts to be like a negative perception about that individual from the company side, which is which is shitty from the company side. But I do know managers who don't necessarily trust all the time individuals who um, who are sick often, whether or not it's true. And, and, and that's, that's kind of disappointing. But then what they do is they start to, you know, use phrases like not as reliable, not as committed, not as, you know, uh, as accountable. And, and that's, that's kind of a shame. And I think it just highlights the importance all around for the individual. Um, and I can imagine the person you're talking about, the, the type of life she was able to have after you were able to help her. Oh, and I see it across the board. I mean, I've worked, I work with companies where it's, like I said, I'd, I'd say 95% of the employees in that company, and these are large companies, have, you know, some form of metabolic problem. And, you know, it does. It carries over to where, you know, they start missing work because of uh, this symptom or that symptom. Um, they do become, they do, are, they are looked at as unreliable. They looked at, they're looked at as if they're faking it. Um, and there's just a, you know, there's a lack of, of education on both the, the person perceiving that employee and the employee themselves. And when you see the transformation, it's remarkable. I mean, it's, and, and it grows. What I've found is that I can work with, let's say, an individual at, at, a, at a company and let's say they have a, of a, a weight problem that, you know, they, that they've been, you know, working years and years and they followed this diet program and that diet program and they may have lost 20 pounds, but then they gained back 40. And it's just this, this up and down, you know, cycle of, of weight loss and weight gain. And but when we work with them and give them the tools and the education on how to lose that weight and keep the weight off, you know, permanently, all of a sudden the other employees that they work with start seeing this and and it becomes that becomes contagious they start saying you know like well what are you doing you know well how's this how's that working for you and it then that grows through the company exponentially you know there's there's just a better overall feeling in in terms of of the production that's that's being you know uh that's taking place in that company people are are excited to work they're excited to work you know in the group of people that they're in it's just an overall you know beneficial experience in every way you look at it yeah Oh, and Sean, you don't necessarily have to include these questions. They're, they're, they're off topic. Maybe they'll be interesting for the content. But um, I was researching a little bit about, because we, when we spoke uh, on our prep discussion, we talked a little bit about the role of the employer in all of this. And, and you talked about tracking the bottom line as it relates to employer health. And, and I saw like a couple, I guess, hurdles that would get in the way of a company taking a more active role in both understanding their employees' health and ultimately measuring the impact of it on their bottom line. Um, one was like the data itself. So like how do you get employees to feel comfortable sharing their their health data with their employer? The second was potentially discrimination, which is 
you know, employers looking for healthier individuals, which could ultimately lead to, you know, them looking for younger people or, you know, discriminating against people that may be older, have more health issues. I'd love to just get your take on both of those things in terms of have you ever experienced or discussed or observed those types of issues or, or hurdles in, in this whole thing that you've kind of worked on with, with employees, employers? Yeah, that's a great question. And I have, and that has to deal a lot with the HR department and how they uh, basically approach that situation. I, I have my own methods, but a lot of times, you're, like you said, that does not fit into the rules and regulations of employment. Um, so what I think, what I found to be most effective is basically education and opportunity. In other words, the employer through the HR department will provide opportunities for people and education to improve their overall health as, as an actual benefit, uh, a workplace benefit to mm-hmm. them, not as a requirement, right. but, a, but a benefit. In other words, so they would have these programs available or this education. I do a lot of uh, lunch and learn lectures, you know, where it's not mandatory, but yet it, uh, you know, it, it provides an environment that the employer actually cares for that individual. And believe me, I've worked in companies where they don't care. They really could care less about an employee's health, well-being, because they're replaceable. If they get they get hurt or they're, you know, they have a health condition, they're just they're they're let go and they're replaced with somebody else. But the companies that really provide the education and the opportunity, it's incredible to see how well they do. Um, I, and believe me, I've seen you know, uh, companies that take it, you know, to, to an extreme where they actually have, you know, designed workout areas, you know, for the employees to use, they have kitchens, you know, that fully equipped kitchens that the employees can use to, you know, to, to bring in their own food and make their own food. And from a, from a, uh, uh, observational perspective, those companies, it's amazing how productive they are and how, and the overall, uh, enthusiasm of the employee to work. That's that's well put. I guess you know, as we wrap up here, what any parting words of advice for either employers that are thinking about health and wellness, or just you know, employees that are thinking about how they manage their health and wellness during everything that's going on? Well, from yes, from my perspective, I think you have to you have to find your why. You know, in other words, you know. Why do you want to be healthy from an employer standpoint? Why do you want healthy employees? Because they obviously they produce, you know, they produce more because they are healthy. Okay. They're more, they have more energy. They have more motivation. Why do, why do I want to be healthy? Well, for me, it all, it, I'm a, I'm a fanatic downhill skier. I want to ski well into my hundreds. Okay. (laughs) And, And, you know, it's the type of thing where, where, I stay, I want to, I want to maintain my own optimum level of health so I can ski as well as I skied when I was 30 years old. And I do, I can pretty, I go to Mammoth Mountain a a great deal. That's, that's my why. Okay. And so it might be, you know, Sean has some, you know, a, a beautiful family with beautiful children. His why may be that, you know, he wants to be able to, to, to see his children grow up healthy and play with them, you know, and, and, be active with them in sports and so forth there. But, and, and so it's, you know, health is, 
health is longevity and health in, in longevity in, in business means healthy employees. And so it's kind of like, you know, like we said, not not focusing on you have to do this, but why do you want to do this? And, and in that sense, it can provide a great deal of motivation to the individual to to continue and to to, you know, it's like for someone who says, well, I want to lose 20 pounds. OK, um, it's a little bit different than saying that if I gain 20 pounds, I'm not going to be able to ski as well as I do if I, you know, if I'm 20 pounds lighter. And so it, it provides the motivation for longevity to be able to find why you want to be healthy. And I think that's what people need to focus on. Yeah, it's not as simple as somebody telling you you need to lose 20 pounds and right. then you can't do what other people tell you to do. You have to be the one motivating yourself and having that why yeah. um, to, to actually follow through on these things. Well, it's, and Sean, that's a good point because it's, it's once again, it's the type of, of things that we see in yo-yo dieting, okay? Someone has a goal. I want to lose 20 pounds. They lose 20 pounds. They're happy. Oh, I lost 20 pounds. But what happens from there, Okay. They, they, their, their, their why was that all they needed to do was lose 20 pounds. But then what we find is that they lose the 20 pounds. Now they gain 40. Okay. Because they achieved their goal. They didn't maintain it. So you have to find a reason to, you know, to want to maintain and progress your health from that point on. And that's, that's what I talked about when I, when I say, you know, finding your own personal why you want to do these things. Yeah, this has been great. I, I, we really, we love the insights from, you know, the, the breathing technique and what we can do from a posture standpoint just to, to help protect ourselves over time. Um, and especially all the education on the gut health and how important that is and, and how overlooked that is in terms of uh, making your body feel better and perform better. As we wrap up, where where can our audience find you? Obviously, if you're in LA or Orange County, um, you can look them up and, and he'll come out and help you with the nutrition and the chiropractic work, but where can our audience find you? The best way is through my website. It's, it's the website is L A O C Cairo.com. Uh, that's spelled, you know, L A O C C H I R O.com. And that's basically, it has a lot of information on the, the blood testing work that we do through health by numbers. Uh, it has uh, a lot of nutritional information on that site and uh, my personal phone number to where Anybody can contact me at any time in my email as well. That's great. Yeah, we again, we really appreciate your time and all of your insights and, and, and speaking with us today. Um, just you know, thank you so much for coming on here with us. Uh, it's my pleasure. You guys are doing a great job. Uh, I love the work that you're doing. Your podcasts are great and very informative. And I really hope uh, in some way this can help, uh, help a lot of people. Yep. Thank you. Jim. Thank you. You're welcome. As always, thank you so much for listening to the two sales guys. Matt and myself both really appreciate all the support and love that we're getting from everyone. So uh, please keep it up. As always, we appreciate your feedback. So please go ahead and head on over to our Instagram, the two sales guys, and send us a direct message with any feedback or suggestions that you may have for future episodes. We've got a bunch of exciting new episodes coming over the next few weeks. So please make sure to subscribe and hit those like buttons. That way you get notified when the new episodes are released. 
And these episodes will come out every two weeks, so look forward to the next episode on February 24th. And also, one new thing, we just opened up the Two Sales Guys LinkedIn page, so please go ahead and follow that for us. And finally, always remember to visit the twosalesguys.com. Thank you. We'll see you in two weeks.